Hello and welcome to the Hypochondriac's Almanac podcast. We are recording for you folks on a Friday evening. I am Sarah and I've got my special guest star Darcy on the show for the evening. I will not ask her to say hello because she is taking a brief snack. We have recorded four straight episodes I'm sure she's exhausted. She's hours ahead of me in time, and she's had a long <laughs> <so> day. <laughs> she's so tired. And I peer pressured her into another episode so that I wouldn't have to bother her she for a while. She sprung it on me at the last second. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, you can't say no. You've already had three glasses in. Okay, if you were wondering, this is the podcast for all of you out there that secretly think you have a new disease every time you have a sniffle, a slight twinge, or a headache. It is not a tumor. We understand, we identify, and we have definitely scoped out WebMD more than our fair share of the times. We're here to talk about weird diseases, strange illnesses, crazy syndromes, rare disorders, weird medical articles on Yahoo, anything else that we find interesting. Before we get started, let's talk about the disclaimers. We're not doctors, nurses, or medical professionals. We don't want to treat you, diagnose you, or fix your medical problems. Nothing on this show should be construed as medical advice. If you have an issue, please see a doctor. Don't guess or take what we say as a diagnostic tool. We just want to talk about all the fun, weird, and crazy parts of the medical world in the past, present, and future. Let's jump right in. Okay, this article, Darcy, I think you are going to like flip out. It's very, very interesting. I found it um, September 3rd. The article author is David Lawrence, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the Newcastle Law School at Newcastle University. It is titled Genetic Engineering and Human-Animal Hybrids, How China is Leading a Global Split in Controversial Research. Okay. Okay. If you want to conduct groundbreaking but contentious biological research, go to China. It says last year Chinese yeah, that's true. last year Chinese scientists announced they had created the world's first gene-edited human babies. Shocking the world at a time when this practice was considered illegal and wow. U.S.-based researchers revealed they had produced the world's first human-monkey hybrid embryo in China as well. They did this in order to avoid legal issues in the U.S. China is fast becoming the world capital of controversial science, and it is not alone in producing it. More babies produced are now produced using CRISPR gene editing technology. That's C-R-I-S-P-R and are now planned by a scientist in Russia. There are other researchers that are also hoping to conduct the world's first human head transplant. Japan (laughs) has also recently lifted its ban on human hybrid animals. The world is rapidly moving towards this two-tier system of cutting-edge medical research, broadly dividing countries... With minimal regulation and those that refuse to allow anything but the earliest stages of this type of work, the consequences of the split are likely to be very significant and could potentially affect the access of many to health care. The births of babies in China and the, under the CRISPR method have led to an uproar among the scientific community, which criticized the scientists and doctors and calling for a halt on this research on human embryos. 30 countries. Gene editing of human embryos is already banned outright or highly, highly controlled. In UK, only a handful of research groups have been granted a license to conduct experiments and certainly not with the aim of bringing embryos to term. 
But in most countries, things are very, very muddled. The Chinese, for example, are declaring some of the work illegal, but are also letting some of it move forward. And Chinese science is far from unregulated, but the fact remains they are conducting a lot of these experiments there with this CRISPR technology and creating these babies through research. What do you think about this? So I remember the story from last year with the genetically modified embryo, um, but none of these have been carried successfully to term. Is that correct? I don't think so. I think that, because this is kind of like a step past stem cell, right? Right. Um, well, I think the animal-human hybrid thing is frightening. I don't understand why. I don't understand the purpose behind that. I, I can't think of a of a, a scientific research based question that you would be answering by doing that. That seems like something that you do to that they would be doing to try just to see if they could do it. I, I can't think of a question as a research question they would be answering with that. It seems like gene editing at its worst and playing God essentially. And I can understand if you're doing gene research and creating embryos in order to provide platelets or some sort of umbilical cords and cord blood and that sort of thing. Stem cell. If they use the stem, stem cells cell. to cure diseases yeah. and prevent death. Mm-hmm. That does not appear to be what's going on in a lot of these instances. Um, the head transplant thing, what do you think about that? There have I already been people probably, that have volunteered for it. There's a, a waiting list. I think we're probably at least 30 years from seeing that actual actually ever be successful. And again... I don't know what the research question is that they're trying to answer with that. Are they just trying to make people live forever? They're saving lives. Um, evidently, the person the, that's top on this list is a gentleman that's paralyzed from the neck down who okay. wants to have a better life. I don't know if it's a genetic disease that created this or if he was in an accident of some sort and just wants to improve the quality of his life and be able to move again. So who are we to tell those people that they can't try this is my question. I don't know. I mean, if we're creating babies in a, in a test tube and mm -hmm. artificially creating human babies, that's one thing. But allowing mm -hmm. somebody who has been paralyzed from the neck down through no fault of their own to have the possible ability to walk and move again, I just have a hard time saying that we cannot allow that. Where does the, um, the body, where's the body coming from? A that donor. Would, presumably. A donor that died, that donated his body to science. Just like, you know, organ donors. You can donate your entire body mm -hmm. for a body transplant. Mm. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a, I think it's a little bit of a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how realistic it is. I'm not necessarily against it for those purposes, mm -hmm. but I think it's, like I said, I think we're, we're, we're decades away from seeing that actualized. So genetically engineering a baby in a test tube, an actual human baby, no, but l allowing somebody to transplant their head onto a body. Yes. If they can find the technology to do it. Am I wrong well, on that? Is that your opinion or are you, I'm asking like, are you synthesizing if, if mine? That's your opinion. I don't have a problem with genetically engineering babies. 
Hmm. Where do we draw the line? Where's your line in the sand? Mm. Bait, uh, human animal hybrids? I think if we ever got to a point where it was possible to, for a human animal hybrid to actually survive, survive, I would have questions about why you would do that. I don't, I just don't know why you would do that, but no, I don't have a problem with genetically engineering babies. I feel like the because only that, useful reason for hybrid, a hybrid of a human and an animal would be to harvest the body parts for organ transplants. But why would you need animal body parts? Because a pig heart may be useful. Um, sk- pig but skin. they can use pig hearts now. Yeah, I don't know. They can use they can use pig hearts and they can use car, uh, cow hearts. Well, maybe uh, if it's a pig, now. maybe if it's a pig human hybrid, then the the genetic sequencing and the genes and the DNA will be closer to a human and then less um, likely to be rejected by a human. I don't think that that's why a body rejects a foreign body. Um, it would have to be genetically engineered from their, from that person's own tissue. I don't know. So like if I have a heart defect and you were to take my tissue and genetically create a human animal hybrid with my tissue, it would be, I wouldn't, my body would be less likely to reject that, that, um, transplant, but just any human would, it, that doesn't, that doesn't track. That wouldn't, just, that wouldn't be why it would or would not reject it. I just don't, I don't think these articles that are out there are really talking in detail about the purpose behind these experiments. Right. And I don't know. I mean, China, it's like you were saying, like that's, they have some some weird scientific experimental policies that we obviously don't have here. We have in the United States, we have what's called an institutional review board. Um, and anytime you do a scientific experiment, you have to get approved by an institutional review board to conduct that science experiment. Right. And the things that are taken into consideration are harm to the person, um, um, you can't collect any information secretly from people. Um, you can't you can't collect information from vulnerable populations with undue influence. So, like military or prisoners or um, vulnerable pop- or the elderly or populations like that or or minors. Right. Um, and this all stems from basically World War II. Um, all the experiments that the Nazis were running. So we have these Nuremberg laws now. Well, not only that, um, but like the policies. Tuskegee experiments with the black prisoners and the black soldiers where they basically felt mm-hmm. like they weren't human and they conducted all sorts of awful experiments with sexually transmitted diseases and all kinds of other horrifying but that things. Wasn't, um that wasn't regulated until after the World War II experiments. It's just insane. Um, right. So, so we have all of these regulations in the United States that you just simply can't get away with in in the United States that you can do things in other countries that don't have these policies in place. And it opens you up to scientific abuse. Yeah. Essentially. And I, and I, that's why I keep going back to the research question. What research question are they answering by a human okay, so animal hybrid? Let's talk about a related article then. Um, okay. This article, uh, September 3rd, 2019, Marie Claire Dorking was the author Couple welcomes baby boy via embryo adoption three years after he was first conceived. Okay. So I think these are the sorts of cases that scientists are trying to provide for 
but ultimately they're coming to this in a very odd way with a lot of other experiments on the side and maybe using this as the justification for experiments that may not necessarily directly have to do with this. But a couple have spoken of their joy after welcoming a baby boy three years after he was first conceived by another couple. Referring to their son as their snowflake baby, the family from Colorado have revealed how they adopted an embryo that was originally conceived by a donor couple in 2016. Following a successful implantation of the adopted embryo into the woman's womb, baby Alex was born in March of this year. He was frozen for three years. The couple already has one biological son who is five years old, conceived through IVF. Both were born against the odds from the only viable embryo that was available to that couple. They wanted to give their first son a sibling, so they began the process of traditional adoption in 2017. But when the couple spotted an advertisement for embryo adoption in their adoption agency's website, they began to consider the process as an alternative way to expand their family. So evidently couples that have extra embryos can make a decision to donate those embryos to other couples, donate them mm -hmm. to science, or they can destroy them. Yes. Very, very interesting. This baby was frozen for three years and then taken out, put into somebody else's womb, and viably conceived. But let's be clear. The, the, the baby wasn't frozen. The cells were frozen. Right. So they this, this one couple went through IVF, and the cells were extracted from the male and the female mm -hmm. to create an embryo, which right. was then frozen. And three years after this happened the couple decided that they wanted to donate this embryo to a couple that couldn't conceive children naturally. Right. I had and that no is idea your that, option. I had no idea as, that was even a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you can go get IVF. You can ha either have your own egg and sperm, or you can have somebody else's egg and your, or somebody else's sperm and your egg. You can have your sperm and somebody else's egg, or you can have somebody else's egg and sperm. Mm -hmm. mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing yeah I mean if, it, if if you have trouble conceiving and, and you want to carry a pregnancy this is an option um, adoption so, is also an option is this considered um, a test tube baby? no a test tube baby is well no What's a test, a test tube baby? A test tube baby is, is one that is, um, it's when the fertilization takes place outside of the, the fallopian tube so in the uterus. So they take the egg, they take the sperm, they implant them together outside of the uterus. Right. The other way that we're talking about where this, ba this baby was originally conceived in the article was they took an egg and fertilized it within the body of the woman, then took it out yes. after it was fertilized and froze it and adopted a different couple. So... The test tube baby is the one where they take the sperm from the dude and they take the egg from the lady. They throw them in that tube together and bam, it's a test tube baby. But remember the controversy from that like 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago and how crazy yeah. people thought that was? And now we well, look at it like nothing. But this is also 10, 15, 20 years ago was also the time when the evangelical movement was really big in the United States. And this whole concept of playing God was a really big topic. It's it's not nearly as um, buzzwordy as right. it used to be. The same thing with stem cells. That's why. That's why stem cells. That's why George W. Bush, out well, like 
stem cells or wouldn't a veto to stem cell bill or whatever it was that he did during his presidency is because of that evangelical movement of if God wants you to have a baby, you should be able to have, like, you should be able to conceive naturally. You shouldn't be able to use science. And that's science has, has improved so significantly that we can, we can create life. Right, but I don't Through think scientific you should, artificial means. I don't think you should create a baby just to harvest the stem cells to fix somebody else that's already alive. I think you know if you want to create a baby, that's not that a way, baby. That's the whole thing of stem cells. Right, stem cells but are they, there are people are not that are conceiving cells. Yeah, that's the whole thing. There are people that are conceiving children so that they can take the mm-hmm. cord blood and the stem cells from the placenta and the the cord and all that kind of good stuff and take those stem cells and help cure other children that they already have. I think that's mm-hmm. where some of the controversy lies and that people think people should not be able to have a baby just to take those cells and cure another child. But they're not having a baby. They are. They're people that are having an additional child so that they can take the stem cells. They're conceiving a child. They're conceiving an embryo. That's, that's where I'm getting hung up is, is an embryo is not a baby. No, and there are people that are actually national- having children birthing the child and then taking... Where is this happening? Look online. There are people that are taking the, the cord blood from the baby that's already born and using it to help cure but cancer. But they're not harming enough, They're not harming the baby that they're was just born. They're not harming the baby, but they're only having so, that baby to take the cord blood to help cure the other baby that they already have. But they're have. still raising the ba- both babies. Correct. But they're only having it to cure the first child. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. Okay. So, speaking of playing God... I've got another interesting article here by Nicole Pelletieri. Court denies custody for parents who stopped chemo for four-year-old son with cancer. Mm. A court denies custody for parents who stopped the chemo for their four-year-old son in the Florida. This is a Florida couple. This happened earlier this year. A judge announced that the parents... The son itself was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia in early 2019. The parents stopped the child's chemotherapy two days into the treatment. They could be seen crying after the ruling was announced. The child will remain in the custody of the grandparents. However, the state does not have the option of returning custody to the parents in the future. Oh, wait. However, the state does have the option of returning the custody to the parents in the future. This ruling was not considered punishment, but instead done to protect the child. Instead of chemo, the family turned to medical marijuana and CBD oil, the increasingly popular popular cannabis extract that's sold over the counter. He had vicious mood swings, making him violent, making him very emotional, and he also started to lose his hair right away after the first treatment, says the parents. They then took him to Kentucky, where they sought a second opinion... And that's when the sheriff's department got involved. They wanted to bring the child back to the hospital for medically necessary procedures. The parents have further refused to allow them, the son, to have follow-up treatment with life-saving medical care that he needs. They are facing possible criminal child neglect charges that are now pending. The problem is the parents were found one week after the state of Florida placed Noah in the custody of the grandparents who were ordered and made to resume chemotherapy. Acute lymphoblastic leukemia has a 90% cure rate for parents who follow the treatment plan. Hmm. Noah has been receiving both chemotherapy and CBD for his treatment now. 
So what it, what are your thoughts on this? Is it necessary? Is, is it necessary to do chemotherapy for a child with cancer? I think you're obligated to provide medical care for your children. But should they have to go through chemotherapy? I think you're obligated to provide medical care for your children. So (laughs) what if the cure rate with chemotherapy was 50%? Mm -hmm. Would they still be obligated to provide that chemotherapy for that child? I think so. What if the cure rate was 20%? Would they still be obligated to provide chemotherapy for the child? Yeah, I think so. I think that... I I think I'm having a hard time delineating the difference between being obligated and wanting to provide treatment. Um, I, I can't understand why you wouldn't want to provide treatment, but I think that the biggest thing about that story that you just read is that they decided they didn't want to do chemotherapy instead. And they wanted to treat with cannabidiol. Um, and cannabidiol is not a treatment for cancer. It can reduce the size of cancer cells and it can reduce the side effects of chemotherapy, Mm -hmm. but it does not treat cancer. And I think that that's the neglect part. As far as we know. They really haven't done enough studies, I think, to conclusively prove one way or another whether this is a legitimate treatment. We can't cure cancer. So. If we know chemotherapy can't cure cancer, we then the medical the marijuana is not going to cure cancer. We can't cure cancer, but we what we do know, and there has been extensive research on medical marijuana and the effects of cannabidiol on cancer cells and chemotherapy, and we do know that those are um, that there are positive effects, but it is not treatment. Okay, so tell me this: you were diagnosed with cancer. Do you mm-hmm. have chemotherapy? Yes. Okay, so the success rate for your type of cancer with chemotherapy is 20%. Do you still have chemotherapy? I don't know. Probably. Yeah, probably. So you don't care what the percentage success rate is. You would definitely have chemotherapy. I don't think, I don't see why you wouldn't try. I feel like. I don't see why you wouldn't go through one, one round of it. If my success rate with chemotherapy was 50% or less, I would not do it. And that's your right. I would explore alternatives. As somebody who is legally responsible for your own medical I would explore alternative treatments. I am not crazy okay. about chemotherapy and radiation for the following reasons. My grandmother had breast cancer. She had a double mastectomy. She had chemotherapy and radiation. She died young. Her internal organs were fucking fried. Mm-hmm. She would still be alive today had she not had chemotherapy and radiation, I firmly believe. Now, granted, I... she had chemotherapy and radiation in the first stages back in the 80s late 70s early 80s not quite as much known back then i don't really think that they knew what they were doing to the degree that they do now so i think that she really probably got fucking fried but i don't think i don't necessarily think that you can make the statement that that she would be alive today though chemotherapy kills all the stuff kills Mm -hmm. the cancer cells kills more than that it doesn't just eliminate the cancer cells Mm mm-hmm it eliminates the cancer cells, but eliminates a whole lot of other shit, too. It's like a mass mm-hmm. bomb in your body. It's like an H-bomb in your body. Right, but cancer is the unregulated growth of cells in your body. So is one better than, I mean... So here's my thought on this. pH balance in the body is a major thing. 
When your body becomes imbalanced, it allows unhealthy cells to grow at a rapid rate. If your pH balance is too acidic, then cancer cells can thrive. If your pH balance is completely perfectly harmonized, then cancer cells cannot thrive. So how do you make your pH balance balance? That's that's not that's not you can't present that as an end all be all because if we knew that to be true with certainty, then we would be able to prevent cancer. Certain cells thrive in certain environments. Am I right? I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm saying that you cannot state that cancer is caused by a dysregulation of pH balance because we don't know that to be true. We know there's a link between these things. We can't, if we knew these, any of these things to be true, we could prevent cancer from starting from happening in the first place, which we can't do. I think we're close. I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Well, every day we're getting there. Every day we research it, we're getting there, but that doesn't, we don't know the answer. God damn you and your scientific mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, just, just think about it. Like we, if, if that were, if that were true, no one would have cancer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that's just crazy. The people with cancer, are they regulating their body's pH? Are they trying to be balanced? I don't think people are. I think very few people are aware of that <laughs> and acknowledge that fact and try to keep their body in, in pH balance. Because they think it's a joke, like you're laughing. But how many I'm people... i because of the certainty with what you're saying. It. <laughs> how many people out there with that are at, have a balanced pH in their body. If you measure their body's pH... Let me follow up pH, with another question. How, how, how much do we know about how to regulate auto-regulation of pH in your body? Not auto-regulation. You, gotta del- you have to deliberately do things to, to maintain and regulate that pH. That's not true at all. Your body you, auto-regulates. No. You have to eat certain things. If you drink too much alcohol, if you have a lot of stress, if you eat a lot of red meat, those things can create Throw imbalance. Throw pH off. Yes. Correct. Your pH auto-regulates. You do something to your pH to throw it off. Right. You do not have to actively regulate your pH. Right. But and if you're eating like things. shit, then you need to realize, hey, I got to back off. I got to get into a more balanced so state. So you're saying if you are somebody, if you lead a completely healthy lifestyle, 100% of the time, you will not get cancer. You're saying that with certainty. I think that in the vast majority of cases, that is true. With certainty. Yes. Can't possibly make that statement. Sure I that's can. That's an asinine statement. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, but that's an asinine statement. Every single person I know in my family that has gotten cancer, and there have been quite a few, has lived a very mm-hmm. unhealthy lifestyle. No and every one, single person you know that has lived a healthy lifestyle, no, none of them have gotten cancer? No one I know that has gotten cancer lives a healthy lifestyle. How many people do you know that live a 100% healthy lifestyle? A few. I know people that live pretty damn close. And how many people you know that don't live a healthy lifestyle that don't have cancer? There's a lot. The majority of people that you know don't have cancer. Yeah, but not very many people have cancer. Some people just have stronger <laughs> like immune you're just, systems. You're making just these connections that are just crazy. Some people have stronger <laughs> immune systems. Like, not everyone that smokes cigarettes is going to get cancer. No, and not everybody who doesn't smoke cigarettes will never get lung cancer. 
You can ne- you can never smoke a day in your life and you can get lung cancer. Yes. So maybe you've been around smoke or some other triggering factor that is creating that within your lungs. What's the triggering factor though if you can smoke and never get cancer? An unhealthy body of unbalanced pH? <laughs> Stress? <laughs> These are just crazy things that you're saying. You're making these conclusive links that we don't know enough about. We don't know enough about it. Darcy, are you a cancer doctor? The last time I checked, you were were into biomechanics. Are you? (laughs) No, but like, how can you say what I'm saying is conclusively untrue if you're not a cancer specialist? How can you say it is conclusively true? I didn't say it was conclusively true. This is my opinion. That's the argument you're making, is that this is conclusively true, that it is conclusively linked to pH, and then if we regulate our pH... When did I say this is conclusively true? At what point in my conversation did I ever say this is conclusively true? I think when you go back and edit it, you're going to see that you're hinting at that. Okay. No. Let's talk. I'm I'm speaking from a place of of love. <laughs> no, no. I'm speaking from a place of a consumer of scientific literature on a daily basis. Okay. That let's, you cannot you cannot make the correlations and the causations that you're making. Let's jump to the next article, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> this is an interesting one. I found this article by Liz Schumer. It's called The New Sleep Divorce is Here to Save Your Marriage. Do you know what a sleep divorce is? I don't. I thought you were going to tell me how to fix my insomnia, but I'm guessing it's when people don't sleep in the same bed. Correct. If your partner keeps you awake at night snoring, getting up frequently, stealing the covers, or being generally annoying in bed, it may be time for a sleep divorce. (laughs) What is a sleep divorce? Many couples who interrupt each other's nightly rest have found refuge in sleeping apart and discovered it helps not only their shut-eye quotient, but their relationship. According to a survey, 12% of American couples have filed for sleep divorce and 30% have discussed it. How okay. do you file for sleep divorce? Uh, I don't know. It just says 20% have filed for sleep divorces and 12% That's have stupid. actually done it. As a couple... If you enjoy sleeping together and can do so without one party disrupting the other, this is a great outcome. However, that does not mean your relationship is better than any other couple who sleeps separately. A lot of couples are doing it now. Co-sleeping has a long and complicated history. There is a social norm of married couples sleeping together in one bed that's not firmly established either. According to Atlas Obscura, which evidently has now become this primary source for researchers... Households right up until the Victorian times had bedded down together both out of necessity and to foster community. In the Middle Ages, peasants often slept on the floor with the entire family, livestock included, to keep them warm and safe during the night. As beds became more fashionable in the 15th century, people built them as big and opulent as they could afford, with enough room for everyone to share and bond as they cuddled. Only the very upper crust would have more than one bed, and even then, servants often slept with their lords and ladies so they could be at their beck and call at a moment's notice. It was not until the 19th century that separate beds became the norm, largely to avoid spreading germs between close bodies and to mark women embracing their newfound independence. Setting up twin beds meant wives didn't have to make themselves continually available to their husbands, 
a sort of bedtime sexual revolution that lasted into the 70s. Only then did the twins' reputation flip and people began to see separate sleeping as prudish and old-fashioned. This led to the resurgence... That was, kind of, that was also the only kind of uh, bedroom you could show on TV. Right? This led to the resurgence of the close entanglement most of ex- us have expected of married couples today. But sleeping apart can actually help your relationship. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommend most adults get at least seven hours of sleep per night, and missing out on this can drive a wedge between you and your partner, as well as impact your health. A 2016 study found that sleep issues and relationship problems tend to occur simultaneously, and another study adds that when one partner gets a poor night's sleep due to the other's nighttime disturbances, it results in conflict the next day. So your health can benefit from better sleep. You should talk to your partner and discuss this issue and determine whether this might work for you. Okay, so let me just break into this a little bit. First of all, my sister and her husband, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, they had their own rooms Uh for probably 10 years of their marriage. They were married for, I think, almost 20 years. Uh What do you think about that? Um... My parents went through a sleep divorce uh, about two years before they went through a legal divorce. <laughs> Do you think a sleep divorce <laughs> pretty much precedes an actual divorce, or if that is that a real thing? I think it's a symptom of discord in a marriage when you don't want to sleep in the same bed with somebody. Okay, so what if your partner it, snores it, terribly? If, no, no, no. This is what I'm saying. If If you already are unhappy in a marriage, I think the first logical step is to, you don't want to be close to that person emotionally, physically. Okay. You don't want to be close to that person. Right. So you sleep in separate rooms. If this is something that is isolated to sleep and that's what's causing the resentment, to, you know, and there's the, the issues with sleep are widely known. There's depression, anxiety, obesity, all of these things, long-term um, memory, as I stumble over my words because I've had sleep issues for 15 years now. Um, if those are, if it's simply isolated to sleep as the cause, then I don't see why that would be any kind of problem. So I know, especially because if somebody else is snoring and causing you to wake up in in the middle of the night, right. You are going to resent that person for you being grouchy in the morning. Yeah. It's natural. I am a very light sleeper. There Mm -hmm. have been times in my relationship where I have gotten up in the middle of the night because my significant other was snoring so bad that it kept waking me up and I knew that I needed to get a good night's sleep. So I went to sleep in a different room. Mm -hmm. We have not developed our own separate rooms permanently, but there are times when my significant other is so loud and so disruptive. And I know that I've got a presentation or something that I need to be well rested for. And I have enough foresight to be like, okay, I can't, I have to have a good night's sleep. I've got to go to a different mm-hmm. room to do this. And usually it's me sleeping on a couch until 7 o'clock, and then I get up and go back into the other room. Mm-hmm. Getting a good night's sleep is really important. I mean, if you it's are really constantly sleep-deprived, and it's because the person is snoring or shifting in bed constantly or has sleep apnea or something of that nature, it's going to wear on you, your relationship, mm-hmm. your job, and every other facet of your life. Agreed? Yeah. Uh... I am single, so I don't, I can't blame my sleep issues on another person. Um, I just have sleep issues and I have had them for a very long time. And like what kind of sleep issues? 
I have insomnia and I have, I'm fortunate enough to have both types. So I have trouble falling asleep and then I have trouble staying asleep. Have you tried edibles? Um, have I what? Have you tried edibles? Um, no, because, um, it's illegal where I live, first of all. Okay. And second of all, with the job I've applied for, I can't. It's interesting because I've heard a lot of people say that people with sleep issues that they tried a very low-grade edible mm -hmm. for that particular purpose and have never slept better in their lives. Must be nice. Right? Um, I have, and, and some of the symptoms of long-term sleep med medication use are, sim are similar to the symptoms of long-term sleep deprivation and that my memory is very poor. Um, I have a very good long-term memory, but I have a very poor short-term memory. Um, and I have, like, if I, if I go a day without my sleep medicine, because I've been t on it for so long, if I go a day without my sleep medicine, I don't sleep. I'm not talking like, oh, I got four hours instead of my usual seven. I'm talking about, I don't sleep because on sleep medicine, I probably get four or five hours. Okay. So what do you, what so, do you, what do you take? I take Lunesta. And do you feel like it's effective? It's the only way I can get any, any form of sleep. So any form of sleep is effective for me. Like four hours is four uninterrupted hours is, is a heaven? luxury. Do you nap during the day? Uh, um, no. Holy shit. So you get like f approximately four hours of sleep at night? How do, you, um, how do you survive? I probably I probably get six interrupted hours of sleep at night. And how many consistent uninterrupted hours? Three. Fuck. That's two to three. Brutal. How do you function? Mm -hmm. Do you drink a lot of coffee? Yeah. Um. I I I used to not. I've I've started putting away a lot more coffee since I've been in school. Um. I don't know. It's just it's. I have just gotten accustomed to, this is just my life now. I sleep, I get three, three and a half inter, like uninterrupted hours of sleep. I wake up for 30 minutes to an hour. I go back to sleep and then I wake up about two hours later and get up and start my day. Holy shit. Um, I don't take a nap. I try, I go to bed like 10 o'clock every night, but I probably don't fall asleep till 12, 1230. Um, and I wake up at about six. My alarm goes off at six. But that's not interrupted. What do you do? You just lay in bed for that time until your alarm goes off and pretend like you're I sleeping? I read. I, pick, I pick up, pick up a book. Wow. I have to have something that occupies my mind. Cause if I don't have, if I'm not focusing on something, my mind will just run. Like I'll just think about anything and everything. So I have to direct my focus to either a book or play like, sudoku on my phone or something like that so you do realize that researchers and scientists think that being on your phone reading articles and playing sudoku just makes you more awake i do do you see a therapist I, no why not i have an appointment to start seeing a therapist but um i don't know just never have I think that's Which is weird because my dad's a therapist. It's kind of a critical <laughs> issue. I feel like that's not normal and you are not living your best life if you're only getting a couple hours of sleep a night. Am I off base here? 
Probably not, no. No wonder why you're so... It's not, it's not normal. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. No, it's not normal. Uh, I, I, I have found that I do sleep better when, when I have somebody in the bed with me. Like the I don't dog. know why that is. Does it have to be human or can it be the dog or like, yeah, okay. no, it's it like, it's a, like if it's a partner or something, not the dog. Um, no, not the dog. The dog wakes me up. Oh, does the dog sleep with you now? She does. Yeah. What, she sleeps in the bed. Uh huh. Next to you. Uh huh. On the pillow. No, not on the pillow. She gets under the covers and sleeps down at the foot of the bed. <laughs> Bless her <laughs> She curls little up heart. into like the tiniest little ball you've ever seen for a 55-pound dog. Bless her little heart. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, she's not the reason by any means. I've had sleep. She's only two, and I've had sleep. I've had insomnia since I was 20. Wow. I never knew this about you. So, yeah, yeah, I don't, I just don't sleep. Um, That's awful. Yeah. It's not great. I feel for you. My and I, I, I went to, cause you know, with Lunesta, it's a controlled substance. So you can't get like refills longer than like six months or whatever. I think it's a state by state thing, but right. So every so often I have to go back to the doctor and I went and I didn't have my regular doctor cause I just went to the student health clinic. Um, and the person that I did have was trying to tell me that I don't need to be on it so long. She didn't want to prescribe it, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And I'm like, look, I get it. I understand there's long-term consequences of being on sleep medicine, uh-huh. but I'm in my last semester of school. I'm taking the hardest classes I will take during my school right. term. I have comprehensive finals at the end of this semester, which is basically like, if you don't pass comps, you're, you don't stay in school. Right. Um, I was like, this is not the time to try and take me off of what I can get the most sleep I can get. Like, this is not a time to try something new. And so I was so, really frustrated with that doctor's appointment. Um, and I was like, I'll try something once I'm finished with this, but I'm not going to disrupt my schedule now. So what's your plan after that? I'll try something else. I'll try to wean off of the sleep medicine I'm currently on and try something that's less habit-forming. Huh. So the thing you're on right now is habit-forming. It says it's habit-forming. If you don't, don't take it for one day, what happens to you? Or I two won't days sleep. Or a week? Do you have any other... I won't sleep. Do you have withdrawal or side effects? No. I just don't sleep. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, I might sleep... I might fall asleep for an hour between, like, 3 and 4 a.m. That's insane. That's it. I can't even... Like, and I'm wide the fuck awake when I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm wide the fuck awake. Like, couldn't be more awake. Wouldn't need coffee if I got up right then. Could literally give up and give a two-hour presentation word for word and sound intelligent and legit. I could sound intelligent and legit, but I'd be fucking pissed. Yeah, angry. <laughs> like I would have AF. a real salty attitude about it. But yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. So we're going to transition to a little segment here that Katrina and I have done on the show in the past that I find particularly interesting and that the listeners love. I've gotten so many All emails. Right. It's kind of fun. It's what did you eat today? Oh God. From start right. to finish. Start to finish. You, I had, from the minute you woke up to right now. I had about 20 ounces of black coffee. <laughs> when you, that's the first thing you got up this morning, okay? Well, I had two consecutive 10-ounce cups of coffee. I had a protein shake for breakfast. I got out of class. I went to the grocery because I was out of food, and I got... Well, I bought just all groceries, but I got those Tostitos Hint of Lime. 
Chucks. Oh, have you ever had those? Shit, they're so good. Holy shit, they're so good. Have you ever had the jalapeno ones? Oh, too good. Delish. Dude. Oh my god, they're so good. So they, they didn't have the hints of jalapeno, but they had the hints of lime. So I got hints of lime and I got queso, which I don't normally eat queso. Um, and it was like I got home and I couldn't stop eating. So you've been eating um, Tostitos so and queso since you got home? No, not since I got home, because I went back to class um, at one. And then that was actually when I texted you because my class got canceled because it was anatomy lab and they're having issues with the formaldehyde sensors. So they can't tell if there's like too much formaldehyde in the in the room or whatever. Lucky so we you. didn't have class. So you didn't have to have formaldehyde well, jammed into your nostrils today. So, uh, and so I came home and then today I did take a nap. I took a hard nap. And you actually slept. And I texted you. Uh, I, I, again, I slept about two, two and a half uninterrupted hours wow. and I went back to sleep. Okay. <laughs> so it's basically just another night of sleep that I added. So then you got up and had and more then, chips and queso. Yep. And two glasses of red wine. So not and, the healthiest day for this guy. You had no dinner? Chips and queso. That's it? Uh-huh. I am sadly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is a very atypical day for me. That's, I mean, I'll say that because I'm usually on a better schedule. The um, chips and queso, yeah. two thumbs up, five stars. You're, I had jam, it twice. You're jamming I had it on that. for lunch and dinner. You're jamming <laughs> on that. So yeah. here's what I had to eat today. Got up this morning. My significant other is out of town. So I did not cook breakfast as I usually do. I stopped at Starbucks and got a um, bacon gouda egg sandwich. Oh, those are so good. Delish. I this had so a Starbucks refreshers in acai strawberry flavor. Okay, I've not had that. I had that with my bacon gouda sandwich. Now down mm-hmm. a little bit. Was chilling at my desk. I was having a tremendous sweet tooth by that point, but I did not give into it. Normally I would have had three, three bags of Skittles consecutively <laughs> right there on the spot. I did not do that. I, like, held out to the temptation. They had a taco truck at work today. Oh, I love tacos. Free tacos for everyone because it is the end of our fiscal year and the end of our quarter. So they were like, hey, let's let's make the people happy. But I didn't get tacos. No, (gasps) I didn't give in to temptation because I already had my bacon gouda sandwich at, like, 10 o'clock, right? So it's like, I can't do it. I'm already full from my bacon gouda sandwich. So then I had You started your day at 10 o'clock. My eating day. I got up at like 8 and I like went to work, got there at like 9. You You got up at 8 a.m.? Yes, because my bullshit I'd already done at 8 (laughs) a.m. You're such a hater. (laughs) Anyway, so then I had a Starbucks protein box with the eggs and the friggin' cheese and there's like a little piece of bread that you put like this peanut buttery honey stuff on and some apples okay Okay? i was like all right i'm healthy Mm -hmm. i'm good i'm jamming i get home all healthy shit goes straight out the window i had a pizza all by myself really an entire bottle of champagne and half of a coconut cake whoa bam Right there. Yeah, that's a lot. Have you ever had those? I think it's like Sargento. They do like the cheese and nut, like little snack things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. They're just so good. I just They're had so one of those for the first time like a couple weeks back. I think I'm going to start getting those. Normally, 
I have like a protein shake for breakfast. I have a mid-morning snack of Greek yogurt with some homemade granola, strawberries, and honey. I have either another protein shake or I try to have like a salad for lunch. And then um, I'll cook myself something for dinner. That's what I did yesterday. Okay, I made so what I make for dinner. FYI, I'm never huh. having you do this segment again. Why? Because in order to make this shit interesting, you have to eat like a cake or like a pizza. I ate Tostitos like for lunch an and an entire dinner. bag of chips to make this shit interesting. Katrina and I. I had chips and queso had like, for lunch and dinner today. She had like a quart of ice cream and like literally like 7,000 calories that day. That I, And it just, it's not like she eats like that regularly. That's not her jam. She's like very healthy. But like for some reason yeah. that day she like binged wildly. And I had two. And it was like we did the segment and it was like this is mad. This is magical. People are like, this is amazing. Uh, tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't decide if I'm going to order pizza or I'm going to make buffalo chicken dip. Yeah. Okay. To watch so football. basically I can't I'm necessarily, out of chips now, so. I can't necessarily say that my pizza habit was necessarily legit, like piggy style because it was like one of those Totino, Totino's pizzas that are like, Oh, uh, those are so good. They're so good, but they're like not, a lot of cheese and literally it's like 700 yeah. calories for the entire pizza. Yeah. So that's not super bad in itself, but like I did kind of go crazy with the half of the coconut cake and granted <laughs> it was like one of those pepperage farms, small cakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Listen to me like, sure. Sure. Like, yeah. You're just trying to make it myself. If my boyfriend saw I... this right now and he doesn't listen to this podcast, but if he saw that shit, he would be so disappointed in me. I, I mean, today was not my best. I ate, I ate chips and queso for lunch and dinner yeah, and then had two glasses You didn't have wine. anything else. You didn't eat dinner. It's not like you ordered a pizza and had chips and queso. It's not that, I don't think yeah. that's that bad. Is it just me? It's not that bad. It's a lot of salt. I'm going to feel bloated tomorrow. That with the alcohol. Fuck yeah. I'm going to feel bloated. Sign me up. <laughs> 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 All right, dude. We're going to wrap this shit up. Thank you so much, Darcy, for helping me out and being our special guest today. So long for well. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> What'd you say? I said never again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, your episodes are awesome. We love you on the show. Fans love you as well. I'm so glad to have you as an extra research on the show because we always get a jump in ratings when you're on. So thank you so much for those of you who don't know. Darcy is also my co-host on our sister podcast, bizarre and fascinating details. She is amazing. Darcy is a doctoral student in Uh, biomechanics. So she's got this incredibly big brain that I try to take advantage (laughs) of whenever possible. It's amazing. She's got the best opinions, and she definitely is a great sounding board for my crazy ideas. Right, Dars? Yeah, like this whole pH cancer thing. (laughs) (laughs) Please rate, review, and subscribe to our wild little podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, our email is hypoalmapodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email if you want to bitch us bitch at us if you want to like complain if you want to tell us that we're awful and that we're two obnoxious annoying chicks who know nothing about anything cool do it we're happy to hear those emails 
And please join us again next week when we talk more about strange medical news, conditions, and treatments. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye, guys.